some of you know that uh, I've, um, with my family, been taking uh, teams of people into Thailand uh, for a number of years. Uh, we teach English in poor communities out of Bangkok. And every time I go, I pack all the usual stuff, right, that you would take. But because we're going with a team and because I've got responsibility and a bunch of people who've never been before, there's always some extra stuff that I take with me. Um, so uh, I take a photocopy of my passport and my driver's license and uh, my credit card because if they get lost, you know, I've got a photocopy so at least I can try and prove to the embassy, that uh, Australian embassy, that I am who I am. Um, I always take a small first aid kit. Uh, with stuff like anti-nausea and anti-diarrhea stuff because, you know, if someone on your team gets, you know, it's all nasty. So I've always make sure in my backpack I've got that with me. Um, and as weird as this sounds, I always take a next of kin list for everyone who's on the team because um, I don't have all of their, you know, parents' numbers and whatever and in the phone. If something really bad happens, I, you know, I want to be able to contact people. So I've always got that with me. Um, I've always got the address and phone numbers of our local Thai hosts. And I've usually got that written in Thai because if something happens and we get lost and I'm with someone who doesn't speak English, I just want to be able to show them a piece of paper in Thai and say, you know, this is who we are and, and, and this is where we need to go. Uh, I always have a Thai English dictionary with me because that can kind of come uh, come in handy. I, and, and then things like a, a pencil case and uh, you know a, a couple of things like that, a phone charger and power pack. For me in Thailand, that's like my little survival kit, right? Goes with me everywhere. In my backpack, no matter where we're going, I've got those little things with me. Of course, if I were travelling to Europe or somewhere. I would probably have a similar survival kit, but it would be different, you know, because I'd be in a different place and so I'd need different things. Um, we do a lot of camping. I know uh, PJ and his family are off uh, camping this week. And, you know, when you camp, there's different stuff you take for survival. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I don't take my Thai English dictionary with me when I go camping, but there are different things that I take to make sure that I can survive where we are. And I don't know if, if you've ever done one of those, um, have you ever done one of those simulation exercises where they say, like, you know, you're on a ship and it's going down uh, and there's a deserted island that you can swim to, but you can only take three things with you? So have you ever done that? And you get people, and people argue about what are the three most important things that you should take with you if you're going to be stuck on a desert island waiting for rescue. And, you know, someone wants to take a, a blanket or a rug and someone says, no, you don't need that, you need to take water. And someone else says, no, don't take that, you know, take a match so you can light a fire and, and this sort of stuff. Um, it can be fun sometimes to think about what you need to survive. Um, but I guess there's a bigger question for all of us, which is, like, if you think about life in general, what are the key things that you need to survive through this life? And I don't just mean, like, food and clothes and stuff, but, you know, to really get through life, through all of the challenges and struggles and everything else that happens in life, what's the stuff you really need? So we're in um, part seven of a series that we're calling Surviving and Thriving, and we've been walking through the book of 1 Peter in the Bible. Um, we've said that 1 Peter is a, a, a book, it's not really a book actually, it's a letter um, that Peter, as in the Peter who was with Jesus, um, that Peter wrote to a, a small group of churches in the part of the world that we now call Turkey. Um, and he wrote it about 30 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So it's, it's almost sort of a generation after Jesus uh, was walking on the earth. And he writes to churches that are really doing it tough. Um, Roman Emperor Nero has made it legal to uh, persecute Christians and churches. 
Um, you can beat up on them. You can discriminate against them. You can actually kill Christians and not get into trouble for it. It was, it was an okay thing to do under Roman Emperor Nero. And so these little churches are really struggling. They're really suffering and they're trying to work out, you know, how do we survive what's going on? And so Peter writes a letter to them to encourage them. Uh, to tell them sort of how they should live and how they should get through uh, what's going on. And he, he writes to them about how cool it is, about how wonderful it is to live life with Jesus. He says that the worst thing that the world can throw at you, the worst things that will happen to you in this world, are still nothing compared to how awesome it is to live with Jesus. He says that um, uh, the words he used to describe, he says, even in death, even if you die, um, that doesn't compare to the words he used are the inexpressible and glorious joy of living with God. And not just in this life, but kind of in eternal life after this one. And he goes on to write that, therefore, you know, given how amazing Jesus is, therefore, we should live what he calls holy lives. And holy is a churchy word to say that, that we should live sort of lives that are set apart, that are different, not just doing what everyone else does in the world around us. We should be set apart and we should be living lives that follow the example of Jesus. And he goes on in a letter, um, we've in the last couple of weeks seen how he sort of unpacks what that life looks like. He talks about what it looks like in our communities, in our workplaces, in marriages, kind of wherever you are in life. And now he's going to circle back in what we're going to read this week. He's going to circle back to the core reason, the main reason that he wrote this letter. And he's going to talk to them about the secret to surviving and thriving in tough times. The, the secret, the thing that you really need to survive when life gets difficult. So we're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. If you've got a Bible... Uh, look it up. Remember we said the easiest way to find 1 Peter 3 is to start at the back of your Bible because um, you've got Revelation uh, is the very last book. Then you've got a couple of a really small little letters there, Jude and 1 and 2 and 3 John. Uh, and then you'll come to 1 Peter. If you've got a device, look it up. Phones are all good here. Um, so we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're beginning at verse 13. And I'm going to do what I've done uh, every week in this series. I'm going to read all of the text that we're going to, uh, we're going to look through, which is a, a fair chunk. I'm going to read it all, and then we'll come back and, and sort of talk through it, okay? So this is uh, 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 13. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing what's good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, 
and when, uh, long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, talking about the ark, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Uh, Peter really focuses here on uh, tough times and suffering. He's talking to these churches who are going through a really difficult time. And he begins off, he begins reflecting on the holy lifestyle that he's been talking about. Loving others, living with respect and honour toward others, submitting to authority. And he says in verse 13, um, if you live like this, who's going to harm you? Well, what he's saying is that your best chance, he's starting off by saying, your best chance... Of, of sort of avoiding suffering or of getting through suffering is to live a good life. Your, your best chance of people not beating up on you is to be a nice guy, right? Is to be that girl who's kind to others, who loves others. He says, that's your best chance. But, he goes on to say, but even if you should suffer, you are blessed. He's going to circle back to that point that he's been making all through this letter, which is that a Christian person has a hope living in them that's greater than the worst thing that can ever happen to you out there. If you remember um, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, uh, he, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1, verse 4, uh, you have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. And in 1 verse 6, this is all the stuff he's sort of repeating here. Um, in, all this, uh, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer. Uh, Peter's saying, even if you have to suffer, even if things go bad for you, as a Christian person, you are blessed. You're blessed because you've got Jesus. Verse 14, so do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts reveal Christ as Lord. Uh, the New Living Translation says, instead you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And uh, in the Bible, when you see the word Lord, Lord isn't Jesus' surname, right? That's, that's not, that's not, it's not his nickname. Lord is a title, right? It, it, it's a title that means master. Or boss, or, or you know, kind of the the most important person in my life. So what Peter's saying here is that the key to surviving and thriving in difficult times is to set Jesus up as the most important thing in your life. I don't want you to miss this. This is actually the key point to the whole letter. If you could summarize the the whole of one Peter in a single statement, it, it would be this: that that the way through tough times. It isn't about God making the tough times disappear. You know, at no point in this letter does, does Peter say, hey, if you do this, it will all vanish. If you do this, everything will go good. If you do this, people won't be mean to you. They won't, uh, you know, nothing will go wrong in your life. Peter never says that. What he says is that if you center your life around Jesus, 
that you will have a hope that is bigger than the suffering. That the good things that come to you in a relationship with Jesus are better than the worst of the bad things that can happen in the world around you. He goes on to write in verse 15, Always be prepared to give an answer to, the, to everyone who asks you to give a reason for this hope, the hope that he's talking about, for this hope that you have. Remember what he wrote about the way that Christians should live their lives. Um, in chapter 2 he said, Live such good lives that though they, talking about other people, uh, people who are not Christian in the world around you, live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. In chapter 3 he said, um, uh, Live so that if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words by your behaviour. Peter's getting really, really practical now. And he's saying, when you live this way, or when you live this way, you need to be prepared to give an answer for when people ask you why you live that way. He's saying, you know, because people are going to come and they're going to ask you, when they see how you live, when they see that you've got a relationship with Jesus, and so now you can live with this, with this hope and this kind of joy, regardless of what's happening. He said, you need to expect that people are going to come to you and they're going to say, why aren't you hopeless? Why aren't you helpless at the moment? You know, why aren't you lost in despair and depression like everyone else is? You know, um, why aren't you out there looking for revenge on the people who are being, uh, who are being mean to you? Why, why do you keep putting other people's needs ahead of your own needs, even when those other people are being cruel to you? Why are you living like that? And he's saying, you need to be prepared to give an answer for that. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Be prepared to say, it's because of Jesus. He's saying, don't be afraid that, well, if I mention Jesus, he's saying, be courageous and be prepared to explain why you live the way that you do. Oh, and then he says, um, and speak with gentleness and respect. It's the same message that he's been banging on about, you know, on and on in this letter. It's his way of saying, don't undo all the good that you've done by then being harsh or mean to people in the way you talk to them, right? Like, because that would be, you know, don't go do that. He says, in this way, this is verse 16 now, in this way, you'll keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then Peter points us back to Jesus. This whole letter, I, I know, like if you've been here before, I say this every week. For Peter, this whole thing, it's all about Jesus. And Peter's going to point us back to Jesus in verse 18 and said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but he was made alive in the spirit. Peter's saying, look at Jesus. I mean, he suffered too. I mean, you know, we keep saying, well, Jesus is our example. Well, if he's our example, look at him because look at the way that he suffered. And he didn't deserve it either. You know, you think you don't deserve it? Well, Jesus deserves it less than you because he was perfect. Right? That's what he says. Um, the New Living Translation translates it like this. It says, he never sinned but he died for sinners. He says, no matter how bad you think you've got it, no matter how rough you think the world's being to you, the world was rougher to Jesus because he was a perfect guy and he got killed for it. 
He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. He's saying Jesus died in his physical body, but he was made alive in his spirit. Well, Peter's reminding them that when Jesus died on the cross, there was something spiritual as well as physical that was going on. The death and the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a physical miracle, right? There's there's something physical there, like people don't normally die and then come back to life. So there's something physical that happened, but there was also a spiritual miracle that was happening sort of alongside it or, or above it or underneath it, if you like. That Jesus' death and resurrection, as well as something physical happening for him, there was something spiritual that was happening for him and then effectively for all of us at the same time. And that is that that Jesus' life and death creates a, a spiritual path for us. He says, it's a bit like Noah. Now hang with me because this will seem a little bit bizarre because you're reading about Jesus in the New Testament, and all of a sudden he says, it's like Noah. So um, your homework is to go back and read Genesis 6 and read the story of Noah, right? The people that Peter's writing to, they know the story of Noah. Now, for most of us, Noah's become a kid's story. You know, little kids, you dress them up as animals and they get on the ark. Um, But that's not what the story of Noah is really all about. The story of Noah is about one man who lives in the middle of an evil, dark and horrible world. And God saves Noah out of that world together with his family. Peter reminds you there was just eight of them. He saves Noah out of that world. That's what it's about. It's not really about, you know, animals and and that's the story of Noah for Peter's readers is about God saving one man and his family, and he said, and he saved them through the water, meaning like through the flood, you know. So like there was a flood and there was water, and they got saved through that. That was the physical thing that was going on. Uh, but Peter's saying to his followers, actually, your story is a bit like the story of Noah, because you're stuck in an evil and a dark world, what the Bible calls sin. You're stuck in this place with bad things happening to you. And you also are going to be saved out of that. And you're also going to be saved, in a, in a way, in a spiritual way, you're going to be saved through water. Like he says, so, so Noah was saved through water in a physical sense, but you're saved through water in a spiritual sense. And he says in verse 21, this water symbolizes baptism. Right? That's why we got baptized. It's a sign that we're saved, that we're saved in Christ through the water of baptism. Do you see what he's kind of doing here? He's setting up this spiritual thing. Saying, so you're a bit like Noah. He got saved through the water, you know, out of the evil world that he was living in. And you're going to get saved from the evil world that you're in. You're going to get saved also through water. Verse 21, he says, you're saved by the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. He's saying that's the spiritual thing that happened in the resurrection. It wasn't just the physical miracle. It was this spiritual miracle that saves us, that saves us, and we now say, through water. Jesus died in this world. It's really important for Peter's. He's not saying, you know, follow Jesus and, you know, everything will be fine. Jesus died in this world. And then God raised him to life, raised him physically, but also raised him spiritually. And he's saying that same spirit lives in every Christian, in every follower 
of Jesus today. And that spirit raises us to life, not just in a physical sense. We're still going to die, most likely, you know, death rate's still around 100%. You know, we're going to die, but that you are raised to life spiritually. Friends, this is the good news of Christianity. Right? This, this, is what, this, is, this is what the whole story of Christianity and of Jesus, the Bible, this is what this whole thing's about. We live in a messed up, uh, some people might say an evil world. It's what the Bible calls sin. It's full of pain and it's full of suffering. But Jesus' death and resurrection makes a way for people to experience life in the midst of that real, true, abundant life, regardless of our circumstances. Right? That's the wonder of the Christian story. It's not about follow me and your circumstances are all going to be great. It's follow me and you're going to find a life that's independent of your circumstances. That whatever's happening, in, if you like, in the physical world around you, there'll be something, there'll be this kind of eternal life, this spiritual life that happens inside of you that is so much better than anything that's happening in the physical world around you. It's a life that starts now and it continues forever, what we often call eternal life. This is how Peter's letter and his teachings all sort of coming together. This is so cool. Right? He's saying that if we will live a holy life, if we will live a life that's set apart following the example of Jesus, and we've said this every week, Peter keeps saying, what's the example of Jesus? Love one another. That's what, that's what Jesus taught Peter and what Peter's teaching these people. That's the example of Jesus. Love others. Do good to others. He says, that's your best chance of avoiding suffering. But even when you do suffer... Don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. As a Christian person, put Jesus at the center of your life. Bible language is to make him the Lord of your life, to make him the boss, to make him the thing that you'll follow and that you will do whatever he says. Put Jesus at the center of your life because whatever happens to you in the physical world, whatever happens to you in the circumstances out there, it can't affect what's happening to your life in a spiritual sense. It can't touch what Jesus has done for you on the inside. Peter's reminding them that, that Jesus' death and resurrection, if you like, it opens a way for you to live spiritually. It opens a way for you to have this eternal life thing, even when you die in this world. That, that's what the death and the resurrection of Jesus means. That's the Christian message. This is what makes Jesus so amazing. This is what makes the death and the resurrection of Jesus so amazing. But this is what powered the early church, right? This was the thing that made the early church grow and work. This is what allowed these, these tiny churches to survive and thrive in the face of this extraordinary opposition, this amazing suffering, and yet they, they didn't die out. They actually got stronger. More and more people came to know Jesus because of this reality. And this is the offer Jesus makes to that world, but it's, this is also the offer that Jesus makes to our world. It's the offer that Jesus makes to you and me. 
He's asking, will you believe this? Will you believe this? Will you live like this? Because I want to be really honest. It's so easy to listen to this stuff, right? And to go, yeah, well, that's a good one, Matt. And then we go out and we just live the same way. We just live the same way that we came in. We live the same way as the world around us. We're just as stressed as the next person. We're just as anxious as the next person. You know, we're just as concerned. We're just as driven by what's happening in our worlds around us as the next person. And I, I want you to understand, I, I'm not, this isn't some sort of self-help talk. You know, this is some sort of believe this and everything will go okay for you. But this isn't Peter's sort of um, clickbait, you know, three tips to a stronger life. This isn't what Peter's trying to do here. Peter is trying to teach the church a foundational truth about how the world works, about how the world was designed to be work, to, to work, and about how the world works in Jesus. And he's saying, if we can get a hold of this, I mean really get a hold of this, not just go, that's a good idea. If we can actually get this in our minds, if we can actually live this out in our lives, this is what makes people unafraid. This is what made those early Christians unafraid to step into the ring with lions who were going to tear them apart. Literally, this actually happened to people. This is what made people courageous enough and bold enough to talk about who Jesus was and what he'd done for them, even when it cost them their lives. And this is why we're here today. I mean, seriously, think about it. If the early church didn't grasp it, if if those early churches that Peter was writing to, if they didn't get this, Christianity wouldn't have lasted 60 years after Jesus. It would have all been gone. If if they didn't get this, if this thing wasn't powerful enough for them to go, you know what, I'm going to live this no matter what's going to happen. If they had given up on this, this whole thing wouldn't have lasted 60 years. We wouldn't be here. There'd be no churches today. If you can get a hold of this I'm talking to me too when I say you, you know. If you, me, if we can get a hold of this, if we can make a decision to really live like this, to really understand who Jesus is, what he did for us, and commit ourselves to following his example no matter what, to putting him at the centre of our lives and saying, I will make him my Lord, I will make him my boss, my master. We can live with the same sort of courage and boldness and confidence as those churches did, regardless of what happens to you, regardless of how tough things are at school, um, regardless of your uni workload, regardless of those people at work, uh, those neighbours, your finances, those sort of things that tend to crowd in on us and make us think, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through this life? Peter's giving us the secret that will change your life, literally. But he's also giving us the secret that would change the church and ultimately change the world. Because when, when people believe this, when churches, and churches aren't organisations, right? They're communities of people. They're groups of people like this. When, when, when groups of people who follow Jesus live like this, people notice. I mean, that's why Peter has that whole bit in there about always be prepared to give an answer. Because he says, if you live like this, people notice and churches grow. People want to be part of communities like that. 
I mean, who doesn't want to live with a, with a rock-solid hope that's going to get them through whatever difficulties there are in life? Who doesn't, want to, who doesn't want to live with a life that can survive and thrive in the face of challenges? Everyone wants that, right? doesn't matter whether you believe in the Jesus thing or not. Everyone wants that. But sadly, friends, we live in a world where most of the time the church gets asked questions. They're getting asked questions about what we think about sexuality you know, and other sorts of issues like that. And not surprisingly, our churches are shrinking. Whatever we're doing, no one wants to be a part of it. But that's not the church that Peter's writing about. Peter's writing about churches that followed the way of Jesus. They loved one another. They served others. They put others above themselves. Not just their friends and the people they liked. Everyone, even those people who are being mean and nasty to them, it's the Jesus teaching about loving your enemies. They were respectful and they were honouring to the communities and to their governments and to people around them. They weren't arrogant or judgmental. And at their core, they lived lives that had Jesus at the centre of them. They believed that Jesus' death and resurrection provided a path for them, provided hope and real life, life now and life eternal. And there was something about all of that that was so exciting, that was so interesting. They lived in a way that made other people say, whatever you've got, I want that. They weren't having to try and convince people and you know, they didn't have to have fancy slogans and any of that sort of stuff. They didn't have to do things to try and, you know, would you please come over here? People were knocking on their doors and asking, what is it about your life? What are you doing? Because I want what you've got. And our mission at Tide is to create that kind of community. We want to be that kind of church. A church that really clearly says, this is who Jesus is, that presents uh, Jesus as the path to life, the path to life now and eternal, that invites people to, to step away from their sin, to step away from the mess of our lives and, and, and to put our lives in the hands of Jesus and to say, I will live for him. And then as, as Peter's doing here, to help Christians, to help people who say, look, I believe that stuff, to help people live out a life that follows the example and the life of Jesus. That's what we're about here because that's what we think the church has always been about. Because that's the path not only just for us but for our world. That's the path for us not just to survive but to thrive. You got it. Not just to survive, but to thrive. 